Anyone's Game podcast. Following women's football. Welcome to another World Cup bonus episode of the Anyone's Game podcast. Chris Marshall is back to full fitness this week in the lineup again alongside Campbell Finlayson. Hello to you both. Hello, Stuart. Hi there. So this week it's a short turnaround from the review of the last 16 games to the quarterfinals now. As we said last week, getting to the business end of the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup in France. So let's look back at those exciting quarterfinals we've just had. We'll kick off with Norway nil, England 3. England went into this with a reported virus through the squad. They only made one change to the starting lineup. Demi Stokes coming in for Greenwood. But it's another World Cup semi-final for England after a dream start. Jill Scott scoring early. How did you see this one, Chris? It was, I think by the end of it, it was pretty routine for England. I think I probably still had questions coming out of it, but in, in terms of the game itself, they obviously got that goal super early. Kind of good work by Lucy Bronze, who Phil Neville was rightly singing the praises of, I think it's fair to say, after the game. Maybe calling her the best player in the world at the moment, which is probably a debate that can be had at some point. I'm sure when we have it towards the end of the tournament, when we're talking about best players and things like that. But they obviously got that goal within say, three minutes. It was actually really well taken by Jill Scott in, in the way that she almost kind of angled her foot to control the ball and it hit in off the post and kind of from that point on England didn't really look back although Norway had a lot of the ball they weren't they weren't really doing much they had Caroline Graham Hansen um, and Harvison up front and the two of them were working hard but nothing was really coming off and yeah I mean it's a 3-0 win I'm sure we're going to talk about the game a bit more but in terms of overall feeling it was pretty straightforward for England in the end yeah, so the, the first two goals are almost carbon copy, a, a bit similar that, that Norway couldn't really cope with England's movement, Campbell. But out of the four quarterfinals that was there, this was surely the most comfortable, as the scoreline suggested. Yeah, England were pretty impressive again, to be fair to them. I mean, they've only lost the one goal, obviously, to Scotland. And going forward, they always look like they're going to put the ball in it. And as you see, Chris there says, Jill Scott getting the early goal. It really made it tough for Norway. For them, you'd have thought of any real chance they would have had to score first. So, I mean, going behind early on doesn't help them. And England were impressive and obviously got the two goals in the first half, which really just made it very comfortable for them. And it could, could, could easily have been more than three come full time. Paris missing that penalty. She's already missed one this tournament. She scored the penalty against Scotland. You've got Ellen White in such great goal-scoring form. Surely one of the teams outside of the USA that you don't want to face. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say um, that that semi-final lineup, which we will come to shortly, um, is probably the one where you pick the winner out of at the moment. Um, yeah, I think the Nikita, Nikita Paris penalty one's interesting because part of me wonders if they hadn't been 3-0 up at the time, would she have taken it? And would Ellen White have, have been the one, especially since she is, as you say, in such great form? She's in contention for the Golden Boot now, or quite very much in contention for it. And she has been maybe England's form player of the tournament so far. Um, I know you can argue, uh, we've already talked about Lucy Bronze, there's been a couple of others that have been really good, like Jill Scott. But I think an England side without Ellen White, see, maybe at the moment feels a bit incomplete. And that's that's not to say they don't have great reserves. We've talked about it before. They've got they've got players like Jodie Taylor who can come in and do a job. But Ellen White is very much the focal point. And you would think if there's a penalty to come in the next game and it's it's going to matter, I would suspect she might be the one to step up. On the flip side, though, Norway, it was just a bit emphatic for England to go and beat them 3-0 and send them home, but it kind of covers a bit of, of how well they've done. It's been a tough one for them because, obviously, the second game in the group, 
was obviously against France and it wasn't easy having to play one of the best teams in the host and obviously losing that meant they still had something to play for against Korea in the final game who also did they play in Australia again you're having to go through extra times so, I mean they've had a lot of tough games and obviously that extra half an hour as Chris was talking about really doesn't help so I meaning then you come in to play an England side too it really are in great form it was always going to be tough for them and as we say losing the early goal doesn't help but I don't think you can say Norway have had a bad tournament at all they'll be pleased with how far they've got and it'll be good for Norwegian football as well and hopefully they can continue that when it comes to the Euros in two years There was obviously all the, the, the context around Ada Herigeberg and how she wasn't playing and it, I mean part of me did wonder and a bit of what about her is I, I wonder what would happen if she was in that team um, against England on Thursday night but the same token yeah I think I think this is probably a limit and getting past Australia was actually maybe more than some people were expecting of them so quarter final place I think they're still very much um in the mix, shall we say, for European women's football. Uh, it, was, it was mentioned a few times in commentary, obviously, they're not all full professionals. And I think it's something that, that stood out for me um, when you when you kind of look at the, the teams that are kind of doing well. And we, we've talked about competitiveness and the spirit of women's football. And I think there's a couple of things that creeped in, um, particularly in the France-USA game, uh, in relation to the fact that when it gets competitive, women's football is not that different from the men's game. One thing I was thinking, the perfect way to sum it up for Norway was maybe just the, the old adage, a, a hurdle too far. Um, they seemed a little bit naive defensively with the way England scored their first two goals. And then, don't get me wrong, nothing that I want to take away from Lucy Bronze's strike, but it's a pretty poor one to also concede, considering they're set up from the set piece. The ball gets played to the edge of the box and she's got all the time in the world to, to smash that one in the net. Well, it's not so much the fact that there was a set up from the set piece. It was a set piece they tried twice before. Um, and then it was a case of third time lucky as you say great finish from Lucy Bronze but I think your, your, your use of the word naivety is probably spot on because England tried that first then the corner retaken maybe about five minutes previously uh, didn't quite come off for them but then they did it again and each time Lucy Bronze was left on her own on the edge of the box so yeah um, I think they'll definitely be disappointed about how that one's, that one's conceded but aye, maybe hurdle too far but at the same time you could argue that maybe they've gone a hurdle further than people were expecting. Do England look like winners or have they just not been t- tested defensively by a top, top team yet? Going forward, yes. But the problem is in a lot of games, you've seen the sort of errors that have given the opposition chances that we're still seeing better opposition will take them. Scotland could easily have got a draw if we just pressed a bit more towards the end and that's it. In the first half, probably we did in the second half. Cameroon had plenty of chances in their game before they just kind of lost the plot. Again, Norway had a couple of chances. So you give chances like that to any of the Americans, but when you look at the front three, Morgan, Rapino, and Heath, any of them are going to put these chances away. So England will really need to tighten things up at the back, I feel. But if they get past USA, then they could easily be the World Cup champions. Yeah, I think um, I think for me, as defence is the, is the key for them. Going forward, they have so many options. We've talked about before. You, you had players that didn't even get on the park, like Jodie Taylor, as I mentioned, Jodie Taylor and Rachel Daly, who didn't even get on the park uh, on Thursday night. But the defence, I know there's a lot of kind of hype around the Millie Bright-Steph Houghton combination. And I think Steph Houghton's proven herself kind of repeatedly. She clearly off the line, actually, in this game as well, when Norway were trying to kind of find something to grasp onto when they were 3-0 down. But I'm not convinced by a centre-back pairing and I thought Demi Stokes actually got a bit of a roasting off a of, of Caroline Graham Hansen a, a few times. I'd be interested to see if Alex Green would come back in. I suspect she probably will. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Campbell. I'm not 
I'm not on board the, the England hype train in terms of defence going forward, yes. And I think for me just now, if you were to ask me who's winning their semi-final, probably mightn't be England. But when you look at the team in the context of the tournament, I would say they're probably one of the best two or three sides in the tournament. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Don't know if, you, if you, either of you saw as well, but apparently, just apparently, David Beckham was watching. It's been brought up or, or shown once or twice. Did he? I, I didn't. Did, did you know he had a daughter as well, and he, he dared to show affection to her, and that that was obviously bang out of order as well. Norway now England three goals from Jill Scott, Ellen White, and then Lucy Bronze scoring a third in the second half. On a little bit of a side note, England getting to the semi-finals means there's going to be a Team GB at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Uh, the SFA have already said that they won't stand in the way of any players being involved, but they won't actively support or promote it. That's after Scots Kim Little and Ifeomi Dieke both turned out in GB colours in 2012. Today, Phil Neville suggests the plan is for him to be in charge and Team GB will be England-led. Either of you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, well... I'm kind of ambivalent, I think, the way we were just talking about it before we started recording. And I, I, I don't think I really care. I know that sounds a bit, a bit daft, but if there's, um, if there's Scotland players who want to participate in it, then they should be allowed to. Um, I think, obviously, it brings up the age-old question about the individual nations, whether that be Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and England, and, and the fact that they stand alone in, in the eyes of FIFA and UEFA and, and on a football context domestically as well. So uh, that always brings it around, but I'm also of the opinion that if that was an issue, that would have been, um, that would have happened by now. We would have had that, that debate, would have had, would have occurred, and there would have been an outcome to it. So I, I am one. I'm not a believer that you de- deprive people of an opportunity that they've worked for, they can certainly achieve. Um, so yeah, I think I would like the idea that I've maybe one day could compete at the Olympics. There'd be bits of it that I probably wouldn't enjoy. I, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily think that Scotland will have a lot of players in it, maybe a couple, and it'll be interesting to see what the kind of participation is from, if there's any, from Northern Ireland, and I doubt maybe Jess Fishlock, but maybe Wales, not that many either. So it is going to be England-led, irrespective of whether the participant nations, all four of them, are into it or not. Campbell, what's your feelings on this one? Um, well, again, you have to kind of agree with Chris, but if you look at the sides that would form, obviously, a British team, Majority of the best players are English. There's obviously Wales, Northern Ireland are not at the World Cups. I mean, they're not obviously as higher quality as England. Scotland are getting better, but again, how many players are really going to be in the squad kind of thing? It, again, it just depends obviously on who selects them. But yes, obviously, again, it's an achievement for them playing at the Olympics. But with a lot of these players playing at Euros, World Cup and things, especially England there every year pretty much that it's on, are they really that into the Olympics I don't know if they are then fair enough but for me I just I personally wouldn't put the AGB team in there Does it come down to a personal call you've got Scotland players who if they do get selected have just had their first taste of a major tournament being here at the, the World Cup if they're selected to play at the Olympics for 2020 it's a decision for them to make individually then that sounds like where the, the SFA are leaving things and on the back of this World Cup, maybe they'll say, you know what, yeah, that's something I want to experience to progress me as a player. So does it then come down to a lot more than just the Team GB aspect of it? It comes down to a player's personal preference and the stage that they want to perform on. Um, I mean, I think if you're offered, obviously, if you get the call up, then it's going to be it's going to be an honour for you to go and play at the Olympics if you want to. But certain players might not really be first. I mean, if you get picked, 
and you want to be there, then go for it. How many Scotland players are likely to get picked? How many Welsh players, Northern Irish players, are likely to get picked as well? I mean, it's against tough for them, obviously, not being the mean of the English players from playing in their respective leagues. But the English players as well, they know each other's game very well for playing in. So it might even be hard for a lot of the Scottish or Welsh players, for example, to actually get into the side. But if you want to be there, then go for it. We'll leave it there for now. There's probably going to be a lot more said on this subject as the World Cup comes to a close and after it, depending on how far England get at the tournament and, and where they finish up. But I know that both of you are doing the, the Scottish Women's Premier League Team of the Year so far or the Team of the Season so far. So maybe it's just a suggestion for a future podcast episode where we could do a Team GB selection and see who actually makes your signs. Um, sure, as long as, uh, as long as everybody agrees with it at the end, that's all I really care about. <laughs> but yeah. So moving back to World Cup, France, the hosts, 2-1 losers against United States of America. This will be a sore one for, for France to take as the host. The tournament's going to continue in their own backyard and they're not going to be part of it. Yeah, they're not. And I think probably if you look at that, the, the game as a whole, probably rightly so. Um, I thought that France just, they kind of, they huffed and puffed a lot. But they were maybe maybe lacking that 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 edge that, that the United States had. Um, obviously, the early goal uh, for the US would it, had to play a massive part in that. Five minutes in, and you kind of concede um, against a team as good as the USA. And I know we've kind of like hummed and hawed about it sometimes, but it's clear that the USA are the standard bearer for women's football and have been for a very long time. The the first goal, I'd be interested to get your both your thoughts on this with, with the opening goal with the Megan Rapone because. Um, I thought it was a good free kick. It was obviously went into the, the danger zone. That's a bit of a cliche, but it's the word that came into my head. Um, and it kind of went to near post, and Bouhadi was near it, but because of all the bodies, I think it went to Aberdeen Henri uh, on, on the way through to the goal. I think it would have been harsh to say that Bouhadi could have done better, but I have seen a couple of people suggest that she could. What, what's your both take on that? I don't want to blame the goalkeeper in these situations. I mean, personally, when I watched the game, every time that you get a free kick, in a position like that, you're always thinking, just put it into that area where if it gets any sort of touch or if anyone misses it, it's going to go in. I mean, it's a great ball where the goalkeeper, if you come for it, chances are someone will get there for touching it. So, I don't really blame Bahadi at all. Just a fantastic ball in from uh, Megan Rapino and obviously went straight through. She's got the goal, but I, I don't think he's the goalkeeper at all. Being over here, I, I was watching it with a number of French people again and taking in the atmosphere. I mean, one thing I wanted to say is the the anticipation for the game was tremendous. That I know you've already both been across and said before that there wasn't really much to see, but I felt like being in one, one of the cities out, out with Paris, um, there was a lot more hype and anticipation about it being a quarter-final and, of course, the hype around it being the USA and being titled the Grand Match helps as well, but... There was a, a lot of people up for this one. For France to lose the goal so early was an absolute killer. It, it flattened everything. And I'm kind on the, the angel-devil side of things, one on each shoulder. You can't lose a goal like that so early. I mean, you've not even really had to let them work for it. You've gave away the set piece and you've got so many players back in the box and you can't defend it. But then on the other side, is it a case France being a bit overawed by the occasion? Was it a bit of tension, a bit of nerves or... Is it just a, a lack of concentration so early to, to allow that to go through? But I find it really hard to blame the goalkeeper of all the bodies in front of her there. I mean, I'd always be expecting, if I was in a goalkeeper's position, you're wanting one of your defenders just to get on it and clear it anyway. 
Yeah, and I suppose that the difficulty for the defenders with that one as well, and I totally agree that I don't think Bilhadi should should um, take any of the blame for that at all. But I think probably if you're a defender running across it, and your probably concerns if you swing a boot, you could actually cause it to go in the net anyway. So it, it was the quality of the ball um, from Megan uh, Megan that really that really sold that goal, um, both in terms of the keeper not being able to get to it and the defenders not being able to get that touch that they maybe were concerned that if they did get it, it could go the wrong way for them. Campbell, a couple of the stats that I was picking up on after the game is USA scored early in every match so far the tournament. 12 minutes against Thailand, 11 minutes against Chile, third minute against Sweden, seventh against Spain, and then the fifth minute there against France. They've only lost one in, in 43 matches. I think I was a friendly against, against France that they lost, and it just points to the word ruthless for me. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously the first game putting 13 past Thailand. You get a lot of people sort of slating them for being ruthless, which we said at the time was quite harsh. I mean, it shows the sort of mentality of winners. And again, getting an early goal really does settle you down. And especially when you're playing the US, it's going to be tough to come back. The only team that really did it was obviously Spain, who got the goal through our mistakes. I mean, the US going forward are scoring goals for fun. And it's, it's, again, I keep going back to the early goal, but it's true. I mean, it really does kill things off. So. You think when it comes to England playing them, they'll you have to keep it tight for as long as possible. But England have been scoring a lot of early goals as well. So it could be interesting to see if either side can and whether that will make a difference as it has done in the previous game. I mean, it could have been a bigger margin because they actually scored a third and then the VAR offside call comes in. And from what I remember, I thought that was extremely, extremely thin. Well, yeah, I think I think one of the I think I, I've talked about this before with the the kind of VAR and offside in particular. I think offside in particular is one where it's kind of clear. So if it was marginal, yeah, I mean, it definitely was marginal, but at the same time, it was offside. So it's right, whether it be right and uh, to the naked eye, nobody really knows because we don't know what the what the outcome would have been if the year I wasn't there. But I think, yeah, I, I think it was for me, there was two things about that. The, the second goal um, for the USA, which was, was again, Megan Rapino, it was a really good counter-attack. So in the start of the second half, France had come out with a bit more imp- impetus. Um, they were kind of pushing pushing back. But as I said, they were, they were doing like a lot of huffing and puffing. Um, Amadine Henri couldn't, wasn't really, she didn't seem like a, she had a range going for her passing. Um, Diani was good, uh, but she was up against Crystal Dunn, who's probably better than her most of the time. Uh, and then Govan couldn't really get in the game on the other side. Um, but the, the second goal, I think, obviously that made it much diff- more difficult for France, but I think it exposed for me the kind of Wendy Renard. I can't get my head if I think she's a good footballer or not yet. And part of me goes is because of her physique and obviously her goal-scoring prowess, which came to fruition in this game again. But when you watch that goal back, she is miles out of position and then doesn't really get back. And if I think about how France have defended throughout this tournament, most of the time it has been Renard's made a wee mistake somewhere and then Bok Batty has, has kind of cleared up and I've been really impressed with her considering she's been playing pretty much with an injury since the start of the tournament. So I think for me, France are maybe a couple of steps behind and it's maybe to do with competitiveness. I, I talked about that earlier on, but Lyon obviously all conquering in France. All conquering in Europe just now. They won the Champions League game at five 0 France had six Lyon players in that team. Uh, Delphine Cascarino came on to make seven, who I thought should have come on a bit earlier. To, if I'm being honest, um, and I just wonder if that that dominance actually hinders a player like Wendy Renard, who is obviously a good footballer, 
But when she can coast through games, and you saw that with her own goal and the, the penalty she missed as well, does that mean it's actually going to be harder for a team like France until their domestic situation really tightens up for them to kind of get results against a team like USA who have that week-in, week-out experience of, well, proper competition that they do in the, in the North American League over there? So, yeah, you mentioned that on Twitter, Chris. So I, I remember reading it and it, it suggests that that is a, a football-wide issue. I mean, we've got it domestically in the men's game with Celtic. Sometimes put their European uh, exploits down to how they are domestically and people say virtually untested in the men's game. That doesn't help them when it comes to the big stage and using that experience or, or just deal with those kind of situations. Is it the same when you're looking at WSL and then the American setup that they've got that extra edge when it comes to that kind of experience? I think so. I think you see it. Um, you definitely see it with the USA. You, you saw it with the way they managed that game down. Yeah, they conceded that that header from Renard. Great header. Not, let's not take that away from him at all. But he didn't feel like France had it in them to, to come back. And actually, when they scored that goal, USA tightened up. They did things like they ran it into the corner, which you've seen some teams not do this tournament. So I think that competitive edge that you do have in the US, that you do have in England, I think the only other league that's maybe like that at the moment is Spain because of the the Atletico Madrid-Barcelona factor, but I think that leads just a little bit further behind holistically at the moment in terms of that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Real Madrid finally enter the fray, which is now pretty imminent now they brought a attack on. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think you saw that a little bit in this game where France had all the ability. I think they have good players, there's no doubt about that, but I think they were just missing that, that instinct, that killer instinct, that what do I do when we were backs against the wall? And I think it took them too long to recover from that. So just you're talking about Wendy Renard, Chris. I mean, over here, she's an absolute hero. I mean, I'm over in the, the west of France, just south of Rennes, and there's T-shirts with her face on them. There, there's just people speaking about her. When you, when you mention the French women's team, someone to talk about Gauvin or Le Sommer or Amadine Henri, it's Wendy Renard that gets brought up. So she's got that cult figure status going for her, but jury's definitely still out for you. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that cult figure status can only be good for raising the profile of the game in France. So we've, we've talked about before the need, to, and especially to try to raise the profile in Scotland and domestically. Uh, we've all we all have our dealings with the, the domestic league uh, in Scotland just now as well, and the need for that kind of cult of personality to appear. And Wendy Renard definitely brings that. But I think if you if we're looking at it as a purely on a football basis. I think that there's there's a couple of questions for me about about her in terms of that the very very top of the game. But there's no doubt she's a good player. She wouldn't be in that position if she wasn't. But I think in terms of the very very top, for me she feels like she's a couple of steps off. But it's good to hear that that kind of fanaticism happens in relation to women's football. And by all means, she stands out. There's no there's no doubt in that. And that can only be good if it means it's something that carries on once the World Cup is over. Don't be surprised if you see me wearing a Wendy Renard t-shirt at a future SWPL game when the season starts again in August. That's all I'm saying. If you want to get me one, I'm all right with that. I think that'd be quite a cool t-shirt. Was this just getting to see a different side to the USA? Because obviously 30-0 against Thailand was pretty massive. There was a lot said about that. But when they got the early goal on Friday night, France had a lot of the ball after, but they couldn't really do anything with it. They just couldn't seem to cause any real clear-cut chances or problems for the American defence. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's good that the Americans, this is the, I mean, obviously Sweden gave them a tough game, but it's the first major challenge against one of the big, big sides in the world. And it shows that even though the defenders haven't had much to do over the whole tournament, that they're still on their game. And when they had to really try and stop, obviously, France from creating things, they did. And they just, 
didn't step back as such, but they just blocked them off. And it makes it so much easier for you when you're not conceding goals. And it's, it's good to see, obviously, that when they're going into the semi-finals and possibly final, if they get there, that they still have the players that can stop folks scoring, despite, obviously, the likes of Rapino, Heath, etc. Again, all the, the plaudits. You look at that back line as well, and again, it's very strong. It's just pointed out with some of the players they have in there. So it's good to see that they can defend. And I think it's the first major challenge they've had. They've come through it with 100%. Lastly, in this one, for the sake of controversy, Madri thought she had won a penalty for France just after Renard had scored. The the ball came off of O'Hara's arm, but it was quite close to to suggest that there was anything that O'Hara could do about it with the, the ball hitting her arm when Madri was sending the cross in. It wasn't given. Replay sort of suggested, and from what I saw on TV, of course, the on English language commentary. It wasn't a penalty, but with the penalty that Japan conceded to the Netherlands right at the end, for the sake of continuity, do you not think that probably should have been a penalty? No. (laughs) Personally, I do. Again, obviously, yes, it's sort of against their body, but the rules of, again, if it's it's not an unnatural position, but it's sort of out there making your body bigger, and if an arm isn't where the ball hits it, that ball's getting into the box. So, yes, I mean... For most folks, it's very, very harsh, but I think, again, going with the rules that are there, it probably should have been. And you can see why France were annoyed, but it's the referees decision it, isn't it, at the end of the day. I think for me, the thing with it is, um, the difference between that one and the, and the Japanese one, which uh, Kagami gave away, was the ball was going towards goal, so it was, a, it was a shot on target. So that shot on target, potentially, could have ended up as a goal. Um, I know you could then wind that back to go to every step of every pass that's ever made, but I think the difference for the one one for me with the French USA game was that I don't feel like the arm. This way she kind of she did that kind of weird turny thing that defenders do when they're trying to stop something, and I think that's why the, the ball's hit her arm. It's not a case of that she's had it out and it's increased her silhouette or whatever gobbledygook FIFA and FIFA Pro are coming up with just now for it and iFab, but um, yeah, I don't think it was, and I think. It's also worth remembering, actually, in this game, there was two dives within about the first 10 minutes. Uh, Majuri did one in a... I forget the American player that did it, but um, I don't I don't think it was a penalty. I think it would have been... I think that would have been the tipping point in terms of this rule if that had been given, because I think that, that would have been pretty harsh. That lines up uh, an England-USA semi-final, which we'll talk about at the, the end of the show. We did have two games... To continue the quarterfinals on the Saturday, the first one being the early kickoff, Italy nil, Netherlands to Italy's World Cup run comes to an end. Campbell, yeah, um, the big Dutch crowd, I think probably helps Holland slightly, but I mean they took obviously took their time in getting the goals. Two very good headers once they eventually did get there, but Italy, I think like Norway, can sort of be can be really proud of their achievements because a lot of folk wouldn't have seen them getting this far. So the fact they have done, and some of the football they've played has been great, it's, it's good for them to see, and hopefully that will sort of see Italian football take a, a big step as well uh, in the, the Italian league, sorry. So that's helpful for them. In terms of Holland, I personally actually had a feeling that they might have been knocked out in this game. So as we say, Italy have been pretty good. And Holland against Japan were extremely lucky in the end. Obviously they're getting that late penalty like we're talking about there, but they were poor and they looked sort of kind of sloppy and tired against the Japanese so the fact that they've come out here and really put on the performance that's got them obviously their place in the semi-finals I think it was probably deserved on the day but it shows again that they can step up when they really have to 
Italy had a couple of chances in the first half, Chris. I kind of felt like it was a bit similar to the Australia game. If they wanted to get through this one, they needed to get the first goal, put Netherlands under a bit more pressure, but that didn't really happen. Yeah, it didn't really. Um, you're right, they had uh, Jacinti had a chance uh, quite early on. Um, but apart, I think the thing for me with Italy, and I think I'm, I'm curious to see how, that's play, how this plays out, um, if the temperatures continue to soar. But obviously yesterday afternoon was, it's well known how warm it is in France at the moment. Um, as three pale kind of ginger fellas, we, we've all experienced it. Um, but I think that the conditions maybe played into, um, played into being against Italy in some respect because they couldn't do that kind of high pressing high pressing style that they, they were being so successful with against um, against Australia um, and against China. And I think that maybe hampered them a little bit because the second half, it was just wave after wave from the Dutch and it felt like there was only one winner and it also looked like Italy were just kind of out on their feet. And it's probably worth remembering that we weren't expecting this from Italy. So maybe there has been a little bit of kind of, oh, I can't believe we've got this far. Who knows what could happen, and maybe it just it's just hit them. And this has been their point of we, we said hurdle too far for Norway. Maybe this has been the case for Italy in, the, in this one. Yeah, I mean, they've had one of the toughest routes to get to the quarterfinals. They've come through a group with Australia and Brazil. Had a tough game against China. That that wasn't easy as as China's shown against Germany and Spain earlier in the tournament, and they've fallen to the European champions. Really, to look back at it, we, Campbell and myself spoke on Thursday about how. Uh, Bertolini was just hoping to rejuvenate women's football in Italy. Surely they've certainly done that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I think you're right. It's, it's done the job of raising the profile, and it's a, a bit of a re- repeated action that we're saying this just now in terms of raising the profile. But that is where women's football is in some countries. You're right. They they will look back on this as, as an achievement, um, getting this far. But I, I imagine that there obviously will be disappointment as well because I don't. I just don't feel like they they properly got into the game. Um, as I said, especially in the second half, um, I was watching it in the pub with some friends, and that second half they just um, they just couldn't get out of the box, and it, it was an air of inevitability when uh, when Netherlands did go one up. One thing on the Netherlands, Campbell, I've already asked: Do you do you think they could go all the way? I mean, on the back of being the winners of the European Championships, but it feels to me that when people are watching the World Cup or when it's being analysed on TV or in, or in articles, everyone's looking at or was looking at Germany, USA, England and France. Netherlands, nobody's really actually tipped them to to go and win the World Cup, it feels, and all the attention seems to be on the attacking players at the front, but not whether they're a team that could actually go all the way. Yeah, I mean, obviously you'd see why those four of the teams mentioned for a reason, but Holland and all games, probably barring the Japan game, they've actually looked pretty decent at the back. They've been solid enough. I mean, Stephanie van der Graaf obviously got a goal in this game, but she's been solid in defence as well, even despite the fact she's missed most of the season with Barcelona through injury. So certainly they are pretty strong at the back, and I think they've got that team mentality. Even in the midfield, the midfield three is arguably one of the best in the tournament. So right through the team, there is a sort of solid spine all the way from Van Veenendaal and goal up to Vivian Miedema up front. So I mean, they have been under the radar. It'll be a tough game, obviously, in Sweden in the semi-finals, but they get through, they just go for it against England or the USA if they manage to get through at the final. So there's no reason why Holland can't go through and make it a European and uh, world double. I have tipped them, uh, just to humble brag here before they get knocked out in the semi-final. But yeah, I, I tipped them at the start of the tournament. I've got a, bit, a wee bit of money on them. Um, I think Campbell's right. I think, and you're, you're both right to say, obviously, the attacking talents of Miedema Martins and, and Van der Donk are... Are well known, but I've actually been impressed by Van Veendal and goal, and 
I'm I'm still not 100% on whether they are solid enough uh, to win the whole thing, especially when you consider the, the other side of the draw. But they have experience, I suppose, of going going the distance in a, in a major tournament. They, they won the Euros. Now, granted, the World Cup's a bit, a bit longer and a bit bigger, but they have the talent, they have the experience, and they've won things before. So there's absolutely no reason why they can't. Whether or not they will, I think, is probably still a, still a question that's up for debate. Didn't bring that up, Chris, because I didn't want to jinx your money. That's where I was thinking. I was going to wait till the end and see what happens and then bring it up and give you all the praise from mentioning it in the first episode then. But no, I, I wouldn't want to my chances. It'll, it'll, something weird will happen. It'll go wrong anyway. So, yeah, don't back. In fact, yeah, everybody, no. I don't know what I want people to do. Don't back Netherlands. And then they win. Uh, I'm, I'm rambling now. Carry on, Stuart. Carry on. <laughs> Who you should back is Sweden. The the last quarter final on the Saturday night. Netherlands all their eyes on this match to see who they play. Germany or Sweden? Sweden have been speaking before the game about how had to slay the the ghost of Germany ever since World Cup two thousand and three. Germany have seemed to have had the better of them in the Olympics, the Euros, the World Cup, but there was certainly no problem on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean Sweden are pretty they're pretty solid team throughout. Obviously, the first two games, similar to USA, they're playing two teams they really should be beaten in Chile and um, Thailand. Against the US, as we say, obviously, it's always tough to beat America. But they gave them they gave them uh, some problems. They caused them some problems, sorry. I mean, getting through to obviously face Germany, then to come from behind, obviously, it does help with the goal from Jakobsen coming so soon after. But Sweden have been have been an entertaining team to watch. Again, some good players going forward. You know, like Fridley Norolfo, Jakobsen, obviously, Tina Blackstein. Yes, there's certainly players there. They can cause problems again. No one really would have expected them to get to the semi-finals, but here they are again. It's obviously again nothing to lose when they go into that semi-final, so they can go out and just play. Hopefully, we'll see an entertaining game against the Dutch. Of course, there was drinks breaks through the the quarterfinals because of the the climate and the temperature. But one thing Germany would have been looking to do is if they went in the lead hold that, make Sweden do all the work in that temperature and that would have gave them an easier quarter final. but they didn't even give themselves the chance to do that because they lost the equaliser a few minutes after taking the lead through Lena McGill's fantastic finish. Yeah, you're right and as you say, the, the finish from Lena McGill was, was top row and I actually think the way that she took it, that kind of early early acrobatic strike made it more difficult for uh, Lindahl and the, and the goal to, to save it. But you're right, they, they didn't do that. And then Sweden got their equaliser. I think Germany were a little bit complicit in it. Um, it was a bit of a punt, let's be honest. And the, and the German centre-back missed the header and Jakobsen went through and put it away really nice, uh, really well. But yeah, I, I just think, I think we've talked about it before. I think with Germany, I've just been kind of throughout the tournament a little bit underwhelmed by them. And I was again yesterday. I just think that they... Um, there's bits there. I saw that the the, the coach was getting um, some pelters uh, on on Twitter last night, um, and I think probably rightly so. I mean, Martina Vosteklenburg's come in and she's she's kind of she, she's not really done much in terms of changing things or inputting her style on it. They're a young team. I mean, there's lots of young teams here, but I I just think that Germany maybe got a little bit out. It coached maybe yesterday. I don't know if that's maybe been a bit harsher from giving too much credit to, to Peter Gerdson, the, the Sweden coach. But it definitely, when I was watching it, my initial reaction would have been Germany were going to win this. And I think I said that this was the one I was the most confident with, to go back to the fact that this bet will not come in for Netherlands winning it. Um, this is one I was confident Germany winning. But actually, Sweden were probably value for the winning. I think even when Germany are 2 1 down, they didn't really offer a lot. They had a couple of kind of iffy headers. But other than that, it was pretty comfortable for Sweden. 
again, sticking with Sweden, they've put out Canada and Germany now. Netherlands next up. Can you see them beating Netherlands and getting to the final, realistically? Yes. I think anything can happen. I think both teams can turn up, play their best, and they can beat anyone, as we've seen, obviously. Holland knocking out Japan, a team above them. Um, knocking out an Italy side, super buoyant. Sweden, as you say, knocking out two teams above them in Canada and Germany. Sorry. So, I mean, I think both teams can win, whether they both win slightly tentative at the fact there's a chance of getting to a World Cup final and maybe start a bit sort of defensive between each other, just sort of what feel each other, sort of see how the see how the other sides are playing. But I don't see any reason why Sweden can't. Stina Blitzinius, obviously, up front, has really come on to a game in the last couple of rounds. So we know she can put the ball in the net and again. They're a pretty solid team at the back and in midfield. So I, I don't see why they can't beat the Dutch. No, I think I think you're probably right. I think it's I think the way the semi-finals have worked out, I think we're going to have two very competitive against two very well uh, matched sides. I think one of the interesting things about Sweden's progression, you're right, they've knocked out Canada and Germany. That's two big names. Um, I think one of the interesting things about the progression has they changed their team a lot for the game, their last group game against the USA. They took six or seven players out, um, and they were criticised a little bit for that. I, I think actually that has now been to their benefit. Because as the tournament's gone on, they have looked they have looked fresher. And I actually think we talk about growing into a tournament. I think Sweden are growing into it. I think Sweden not Netherlands could be anything, as Campbell says. I think that's the good part about the Women's World Cup. I think you always kind of feel that way when you get to this part of the tournament. You have your USA as your kind of standout team. But when the other teams play against each other, you're not entirely sure what's going to happen. And that, that makes it a good watch and a good spectacle. And when the coverage of the game is heightened as it is just now, that, that can only be a good thing. I mean, it's easy to say this now because we know they're in the semi-finals, but they've went a bit under the radar. I mean, they've got quality players like Campbell mentioned, Black Stenius, they've got Aslani, Eriksson that plays at Chelsea as well, and they were in a group that had USA in it. So maybe they've just went a little bit under the radar considering USA grabbed the headlines in the group and then throughout the knockouts, everyone's looking at the the, the big heavyweights, really. Yeah, potentially. Um, one of their, I think one of their big misses will be Rolfo, who is going to miss the game through suspension. She got a yellow card uh, against Germany, so she'll, she'll miss the game. But you're right, Blackstenius, uh, first Swedish player to score in consecutive World Cup knockout games since 1991, um, which is a, a stat itself. But I think she'd actually, up until this point, not had a great tournament. So it was, it's kind of interesting to see how she seemed to have turned this around once once the heat is on, pardon the, the pun. Um so yeah, I think you're probably right. They have gone under the radar. That USA-Sweden game probably went under the radar a little bit because of the nature of the group that they were in. Chile and Thailand were, were quite clearly outmatched. So that, that third game that they played was, if you think about it now, a bit nothing. Um, obviously USA won. But yeah, I think Sweden going under the radar is a fair shout. I think they probably came into the tournament with not a ton of expectation on them. And maybe that played into their, their hands a little bit as well. So that was our 2019 FIFA World Cup quarterfinals. We are down to the final four. England play against USA on Tuesday, 2nd of July. And then the Netherlands play against Sweden on Wednesday, 3rd of July. What's the final going to be at the moment? Uh, USA, no. Yeah, USA, uh, Netherlands. Campbell agreed. Hmm. I'm going to go USA, Sweden. I was actually going to say England, Netherlands, and then I couldn't bring myself to that. Yeah, I think I think USA and Netherlands, but I I get the feeling with England that their defence, as we've been talking about earlier, may well come back to London. I think they will concede chances. 
And I think US front three will take those chances, especially the form that they're on. So I can't see past them beating England. As much as England have been really impressive throughout the tournament, the other one is we're saying really anything could happen. I just get the feeling with Sweden, they really do have nothing to lose. You, you never know what could happen. That really could go either way. So there we have it. England probably going to be in the final just to go against Chris and Campbell's predictions of USA guaranteed a place in the final. But we'll be back to review the semi-finals. For the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Chris and goodbye from Campbell. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. You are listening to the Anyone's Game podcast. For advertising inquiries, email agpodcast at yahoo.com.